Stories to You. Welcome to the Newcastle Writers' Festival Stories to You podcast series. My name is Bess Spencer and it's my pleasure today to be talking about prose poetry and microlit with Cassandra Atherton. But I'd like to begin first by acknowledging the traditional owners of the beautiful country on which I live and create, the Garingai and Darking Young peoples of the Central Coast, and I pay my respects to Elders past and present and future, and extend my respect to any First Nations people listening and in all lands throughout Australia. Always was, always will be. So my guest today is an award-winning and internationally recognised prose poet, editor, critic and scholar. She has written and published over 20 books and she is the judge of the Joanne Burns Microlit Award, which might be familiar to listeners. Um, she's also the series editor of the wonderful anthologies that come out of this each year that are published by Spineless Wonders and usually launched at the Newcastle Writers' Festival. And she recently co-wrote and co-edited with Paul Hetherington two groundbreaking books about prose poetry. And the first is an academic introduction to the form published overseas. And the one we'll be talking about today is quite a long-awaited anthology of Australian prose poetry. Cassandra Atherton, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Beth. I'm incredibly passionate about prose poetry and the Newcastle Writers' Festival, <laughs> so it feels like the perfect fit. It is a great fit. And you've had quite a long association with the Newcastle Festival. When did that start? It started in 2016. I'd met Bronwyn Meehan from Spineless Wonders and she'd asked me to judge the Joanne Burns competition, which I was so thrilled with because Joanne Burns is an incredible writer and one of the pioneers of the short form. And in the 1970s, you know, when there were a lot of guys writing prose poetry, she was out there really challenging what prose poetry meant and adding a whole new kind of definition and layer to, to the prose poem at that time. And of course, she still writes amazing and brilliant prose poetry. She even has a piece in the, the latest micro-lit anthology called Pulped Fiction. And um, she was kind of the reason I got involved, yeah, with, with Spineless Wonders. And so the first time I was just asked to help launch the first micro-lit anthology that I'd edited for Bronwyn, and it evolved from there. I thought it was the most remarkable writers' festival I'd been to in Australia. I thought the um, amazing writers that presented there, but also I guess I feel like it was the audiences that won me over because they were from all walks of life so passionate it was a real celebration of brilliant Australian literature and of course you can go for a swim in between sessions I mean isn't there anything better than that so I found it was this real bonding session and I loved it so much and my association grew after that to doing some panels on microlit with some really wonderful writers and talking a little bit more about the form than just about the anthologies so it's sort of grown and with the pandemic we actually had to launch last year's anthology online and we've just done a wonderful launch this year a bit of a literary salon that I think Beth you were at as well so um, it was great fun to bring people together from lots of different states I would have loved to meet people in person but given the situation we're in it was still pretty good I think well, we still might be able to meet again in September because um, the festival so. you know, was a, it was a di difficult year, absolutely last year. But the festival is back on in September, and yeah. it is it's a it is a wonderful festival. There's such a strong writing community in Newcastle mm -hmm. that I think to sort of half your audience are writers 
sometimes and that really adds to the whole um, depth of it and it's just a great city it's such an easy city to get around so well worth a trip up the highway if you're in Sydney now so you've just co-authored two books about prose poetry and you write prose poetry yourself so yeah. of course I guess the first question is what is prose poetry and how does it differ from other kinds of poetry and other kinds of prose and I'm, I'm sure you and your co-author, Paul Hetherington, have yeah. must have had many conversations about this. <laughs> we have. You know, there's been quite a lot of debate about prose poetry. I think the first thing to say that's so important, and the majority of scholars would agree, but, you know, there are a few that challenge this idea, but prose poetry is poetry rather than uh, it's, it's poetry written in the mode of prose. It's not short fiction. It doesn't work along the same lines as short fiction does. However, it uses the same... Um, sentences and paragraphs that you're used to seeing, I guess, in short fiction, but also in nonfiction. You know, our lives are full of paragraphs. Anything we pick up seems to be written in sentences and paragraphs. So the prose poem uses these kind of utilitarian modes, but it uses a whole range of poetic techniques within these, um, pro within this prose mode to express itself. And I think the most obvious way of identifying prose poetry is generally that they look like a block of text on the page, most often justified, fully justified, so on the left and the right. Occasionally people like the ragged right margin, but they, they sort of do look like rectangular blocks on the page. They do have that paragraph look about them. And that's what I love is, is the way that they can be quite deceptive. When you come to them, you think that you're probably just reading a paragraph of short fiction or nonfiction, and then you get in there and it's a poem and you don't want to leave it until the very end of it. So sometimes I think prose poetry is the best form for people who are not particularly confident or think they don't like poetry because it doesn't have that kind of highfalutin look about it with a lot of white space around it. It doesn't have lines that end before the, the right margin. You just keep rolling along with it. And when you get to the end, you kind of, oh, I think I just read a poem. And that's the nice thing about it. <laughs> it's very deceptive, isn't it? Because it sort of draws you into this little contained space and then holds you there until you get to the end. Can we Absolutely. have an example of that? Can I get you to read your own prose poem from um, the anthology of Australian prose poetry and Absolutely. it's called Bonds and uh, just to sort of key the li listeners in there is so many plays on the word Bonds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and I, look I love literature and so there's lots of intertextual references to um, lots of different poems and poets and it came from and my husband always tells me off for talking about this but it comes from the fact that he he did wear a white Bonds t-shirt to bed and I made this big deal of it, which you'll hear in the poem. And he said, I was just cold. You didn't need to write a whole kind of crazy prose poem about it. But here it is anyway. Um, Bonds. You wore a white Bonds t-shirt to bed last night. A plain, white, no-nonsense Bonds t-shirt. And I knew it was over. I heard the death knell. And when you asked me if I was Emily Dickinson's ear, I nodded, solitary, solitaire, solipsist. For whom does the bell toll, you asked that afternoon? Campanologists? Two in Campania, Campaniles? It tolls for thee. R.I.P. my lover. R.I.P. my Van Winkle. Rip out my heart. Wrap it in your white T-shirt and bury it beneath your floorboards. Still beating, my little drummer boy. You can beat me, but I won't be your fiendish queen, my butcher. My blood on your T-shirt will form a scarlet letter. Spot. Out damn spot. 
You wore a white t-shirt to bed last night when all I wanted was to be stuck to your back. When all I asked was to peel myself off you in the morning and mount your erect compass needle. But now we are done, done, and you peel me like a grape. I slither out of my skin, skinner, skin me alive. I thought we were conjoined, destined to travel in circles until we met again in the middle, until we found our core. But like Nabokov's apples, all you manage to achieve is to tempt me with repetition when I am only your dystopian Eve. There can be no valedictions here. So now our lives are cotton. And although cotton breathes, it is also the sarcophagus of our relationship, embalmed memories. But I promise to dig you up like Heathcliff or Rosetti. I promise to unbind you and gather you in my arms, skin on skin. My sweat will be our glue as I rip off that T-shirt and bond you to me one last time. Is Bonds an international brand or is it a particularly Australian? No, I think it's Australian. A very yeah, I've Australian poem, it. isn't it? Yeah, in, um, <laughs> in a few international contexts, I've kind of had to give examples. Explain, yes. <laughs> Tell them, but it's also an undies. Yes. Um, so <laughs> you're listening to the Newcastle Writers Festival Stories for You podcast. My name is Bess Spencer and my guest today, who's just read her beautiful prose poem piece, is Cassandra Atherton. So it's it's always great to hear these things read aloud because there's so much physicality in the language and the illusions and it's so sensuous and the voices are so strong in these pieces. Um, it's like you kind of got to add breath and body to it. So either you're mm. reading it or when we listen, we're sort of breathing with you. And yeah. I, I think list, reading these aloud, I think, would be a great way for people to get into them. And just as you've just shown. So that's one tip. Have you got any other tips for how people who might be a bit sort of like put off by um, this kind of very thick, intense language of how they might approach a book like this? Yeah, definitely. I totally agree with you reading aloud. One of the things they say about prose poems are they have this kind of galloping pace and then they cast you off into this white space at the end of the prose poem where you start thinking, oh, I think I need to go back to the beginning again and read it again to, to put it all together. And I really do love that about the prose poem. I think, um, again, as I said before, it looks very inviting. So it's a good place to start. And the biggest thing I, I sort of say to people when we're kind of learning prose poetry or any kind of poetry is that sort of one line or one sentence should take you about as long to really understand and think about as a paragraph of prose. I think we're in a hurry with prose, po with prose poetry, but all forms of poetry really, to think that there's some definitive um, meaning to it. And there's not. We bring so many meanings ourselves to what we read. And I think going with the flow, giving yourself over to it, not coming to it prejudiced and thinking I don't like poetry or I don't understand poetry, but just giving it a go and realizing that no one gets poetry the first time they read it. They'll get little bits and pieces of it, but the joy is in going back and thinking about things and putting the puzzle pieces together and the satisfaction comes when you get meaning from the poem that means something to you. And it doesn't matter if it means different things to different people. That means it's a great poem if it, if it means different things to different people. Um, but I, I do think sometimes this, I used to be a secondary school teacher, so I'm allowed to say this, but I think sometimes um, poetry isn't taught so well in secondary schools. I think there's some brilliant literature teachers who do teach it well. And I was lucky enough to have one of those teachers. And I hope I was a good teacher of literature myself, but I think 
if we're taught that poetry is hard or difficult or elitist, then it makes it more difficult to come back to it later in life and to really enjoy the pleasure of reading aloud or the pleasure of sharing a particular line of poetry with someone you love or I always talk about the fact that in um, some of the most important moments of our lives, in, you know, in funerals, in, in terrible traumas throughout the world, often when people have babies or get married or, or a range of things, we use poetry. We turn to poetry. It means something to us. It says something important. It distills an experience. It, it engages with the ineffable. It does all these magical, magical things. So it's good to come to it and just let it resonate with you and not try and force a meaning, but just try and enjoy it. And I guess that sort of might happen too when you're writing as well, that like you started with something like the Bonds T-shirt and off you went. It might have perhaps not been that you were expecting to write quite that poem. Absolutely. I think a lot of it for me is word association too. One thing reminds me of something else, which reminds me of something else. And I like to link my sentences in prose poetry that way by thinking about you know, a colour that links me to a book that uses that colour in the title or is important, like the Scarlet Letter, something like that, um, and, and sort of moving through uh, associations. And I think, look, the early prose poets did that, especially the Americans. There's a lot of surrealist prose poems that use dreams mm. and they use Robert Bly talked about this leap, you know, from one thing to the next. And I think um, that all poetry still has an element of that. It might not be obviously neo-surreal, but it has often leaps and it has fantasies and it often has, you know, appeals to dreams and visions and those sorts of things too. And that kind of um, thread of, of associations in the subconscious from each line. Yeah. That, that you're actually reading that as well as reading the, the surface text. Absolutely. I noticed that you have, well, I only noticed today, actually, that you've called this anthology of Australian mm -hmm. post poetry, not the anthology and not an anthology, because those have very specific meanings. I mean, like the anthology suggests that it's, um, you know, it's this definitive work. It's the, yeah. the, the best and most important poems, the most representative poems which is not mm -hmm. always the same. And mm -hmm. an anthology suggests, well, this is just our selection at the moment. And you've kind of not used either of those words. How did that no. come about? <laughs> it was partly with the publisher, but um, actually the first title, which we realised was not quite accurate, was um, Australian Prose Poetry Anthology, which doesn't actually mean it would necessarily have Australian prose poems in it. We realised it could be right. an Australian anthology that had lots of different poems in it. It was just published in Australia. So we thought a little bit about the title and we did think that we hope that there are more anthologies to come. So, you know, at the moment, we like to think of it as the definitive uh, anthology at the moment and hope there's another definitive one that comes, um, you know, and picks up some of the amazing contemporary work that's going to happen with the form, you know, in the next 20 years or 50 years. Um, I think we wanted to incorporate a lot of the history of the prose poem and there's not a lot of scholarship on it and it's got some really exciting moments, you know, especially in, in the 70s and how it started by being called kind of prose pieces, which is so funny to me because it's poetry and yet it's avoiding that term by calling it prose pieces. And we still have, I think, you know, a debate about how long a prose poem is and we take, Paul Hetherington and I take, um, the view that it really can't be longer than a page if it's a prose poem because part of it is visual and if you have to turn the page or if you uh, can't 
really consume that prose poem in one bite, you know, with visually in one bite, then it sort of becomes what we call poetic prose, which is where it's a little bit more drawn out and it doesn't work in quite the same way with compression. Um, and a lot of people would say that, but there's a, you know, there's a fair number of scholars who believe that, you know, it can be much longer. And you've got examples of, you know, the great John Ashbury has three poems and everyone likes to call those prose poems. And so I guess there's more of that idea of a sliding scale between uh, prose poetry and poetic prose and where you where you move between those kinds of two ends of the scale depends on how you talk about brevity and condensation and all of those kinds of things within the prose poem. Um, and so looking at those particular moments in Australian prose poetry history, if you like, and seeing how it came out of those sorts of discussions and what it's become today. I guess we sort of thought anthology of Australian prose poetry, it doesn't, it doesn't offer a kind of pretension. It's not like the single one, the only one. It sort of just seems honest, I guess. Yeah, it's, 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 it's interesting that um, I guess particularly I'd say there's probably a tension with a form like this where you're required to create um, definitions and boundaries and borders around what it is mm. at the same time as historically it's and the energy of it has always been about violating boundaries and borders so I guess there was always that yeah. that difficulty around it um, so it does go back in time I think the earliest ones are from the 1960s right up to some yeah, very well, recent we, ones. yeah we talk about the discussion in the 60s and then um, how the pros prose poem as called prose poem um, is happening in quite interesting ways in the 70s. Um, there are a couple of male poets, uh, Andrew Taylor in particular, who wrote, you know, more than just one prose poem, but a series of prose poems or books of prose poems. And I have to say they're the kind of things that interest me the most. While we have a great representation of prose poetry um, from people who write a lot of prose poetry right through to people who don't write so much prose poetry but have written some amazing examples that we had to have in the book. I am excited by people that do whole, whole books of prose poetry because there aren't that many. And I think yeah. we're moving more and more towards having more and more books of, of that particular form. But, um, yeah, there's only – there's probably – there will be less than 10 um, poets who have written – whole books of prose poetry or books that are overwhelmingly um, contain prose poetry. So it feels like a lot of poets will dabble in the prose poem. And so you get a lot of books now that will have one or two in a collection. But I guess I adore the form and want to give it as much attention as I can. So I, I like people who are a bit more devoted to getting it out there in different ways. And it's always interesting when you're working a poem to sort of when you try it in different forms and you sort of go, oh, that one actually works better this way. And it's so intangible sometimes to decide why it does in that form rather than the other. Um, have you, what have you noticed over the years in terms of um, gender distribution of who writes poetry or who the main people associated with it are and also diversity, issues around diversities and stuff? Yeah, you were saying that sort of in the early days it seemed to be very male, and then but I can remember yeah, in the seventies and the eighties. Yeah. In the eighties, when I sort of and like Arnie Volvitz came around, and there was Pam Brown, Anna Kamani, Joanne Burns, Barbara Brooks, mm -hmm. a lot of people like that. It seemed to me very feministy kind of a a project. 
Yeah, I think that the prose poem is innately political. I think it's a, a political little box. Um, and it says, because it turns on its idea of fragments and spaces too, it, it says a lot, but it also leaves a lot that is to be said. And it breaks out of that box and reaches out to a whole range of causes and ideas. I mean, one of the things I love about the prose poem is because it's short and compressed, it's easily read, it's easily disseminated on social media, um, you know, you get to read the whole thing and understand and think about and um, ruminate on what it means and what it's lobbying for. And that compression makes it kind of even more intense, I guess, in a way. Um, I think it's interesting. We were very excited by the fact that we have more women prose poets than men prose poets in the anthology. We started off just by doing a lot of research. We actually did a call and so we had people send their prose poems in. They did have to be previously published and then we had to do a lot of research and it was interesting to find a whole range of poets who had prose poetry very early on in their collections, even quite um, famous people like Vincent Buckley. I didn't know he'd written some prose poetry. So those sorts of finds were really exciting. But for me, it was the women and the fact that women seem to write the most um, adventurous, the ones that really try and transgress those boundaries in different ways. They take up causes, um, I think, more than more than men in this particular book anyway. Um, it's It certainly begins, I think, in the 70s with women trying really hard to express themselves in a way that was sort of outside the, the patriarchy. And there's a wonderful scholar called Holly Iglesias who's written about, she's an American, who's written about the prose poem Box and the way that um, it's specifically a form for women. It's called Boxing Inside the Box. And she talks about um, the fact that even the terminology can be considered, you know, an offensive term, I guess, for, for female anatomy, but it's also something that's embraced by women to express kinds of domestic prisons in many ways and expectations and, and, and patriarchy and the way that, that women are boxed in, but it's also about the liberation of reaching outside that box and exploding that box. So, yeah, I've, you know, Paul and I have written about the fact that it's quite a feminist form and that excites me. There's a lot of uh, um, American women in particular who are doing quite hybrid things and I'm starting to see that in Australian um, women's poetry prose poetry as well um, where they're using free lines or they're shattering the box a little bit to visually show that there's um, there's the box and then there's what's outside the box so and also yeah. as sort of the, I've noticed um, some blending of essay kind of thing in with yeah the lyric essays so, yeah overlapping yeah, another very... term that's quite misunderstood I was gonna say another form that's quite misunderstood I think yeah. the lyric essay mm. yes um, do you think that there's something about these shorter fragmented forms um, that is attractive to writers who might be feeling kind of fragmented within culture, more marginalised, and that you don't have that sort of solid identity within the culture. And when you think of things like um, novels and essays and prose books and so on, uh, non-fiction books, it's it's like that sort of, it, it kind of demands that more solid, unified um, sense of self that, that, that rolls out in that linear way. Whereas mm -hmm. the prose poem is just this little kind of sort of intervention. It's this little, you can, you can change your mind in between each one and you can, you, you're expressing yourself in different ways. You don't have to have that solid identity. Do you think that might be why it is attractive to sort of a lot of marginalised yeah. groups? 
I think it's a transgressive form. I think it reaches outside of itself. It's surprising. It's challenging any kind of polarization. It's asking, you know, people to think on multiple levels. I think, you know, it's, it is a kind of postmodern form. It's, it's saying we are many things at once. It's saying we can break out of the stereotypes that have been created. Um, it's, you know, many people would say it's a hybrid. It's part, you know, part prose, part poetry, part, um, part partly box, partly space. You know, is is it the white space that creates the box, or is it the um, the what's text that creates yeah. the box? So is it what's inside of it? Yeah. And so I think identity-wise, um, it's a it's a really important way of exploring. And there's some great scholarship on exploring um, feminism and the prose poem. But there's also some more scholarship now talking about even how it kind of challenges gender binaries in a lot of the hybrid prose poems where we've got um, again this this shattering of the box so free lines um, discussions about the breakdown of language discussions of syntax a lot of prose poetry has um, almost a self-reflexive turning in on itself in a discussion of its own language and it challenges the idea that we have terms for things it says hang on a minute why is a rose a rose you know why do we why do we set things up in um, in binaries what makes language think it can express itself it sort of challenges that idea like a lot of poetry kind of tries to express the ineffable in its own way prose poetry says we understand that a lot of these things don't represent everybody and so the box represents that and the breaking of the box or the understanding of the space around the box is the way that we transgress, I guess, those boundaries. Mm. And the way the eye figures inside that box and invites and but also resists and so on, because like in yeah. your poem, there's a lot of sentences that don't have that sort of the eye in it and it sort of involves fragment. readers in, yeah, yeah, it involves readers in, in it's, it's a fragment itself and it's fragmented within it and so on. Absolutely, um, yeah. You there's a lot of, um, in, in particularly in pulp fiction, which we'll talk about a bit, but also in this anthology, there's um, some people who've been addressing things like climate crisis. And I think that's another yeah. wonderful form for that because it's such an uncertain thing, the whole grief, what we feel, we it's, it's such a lost kind of a, a amorphous feeling that we're experiencing mm -hmm. going through all this, that it seems a really apt form for that too. Would you like to read us one of the poems from to do with that yeah I'm gonna read um one by uh Louise Crisp from her sequence of prose poems um I think there's a lot that has been written too about this box shape in terms of it appearing like a room or appearing like a kind of um plot or uh an architectural blueprint and so I kind of like the idea with eco-literature and even cli-fi that it sort of has this idea of a plot you know a plot of land if you like it sort of has that look on the page of of that kind of little grassy area that um that grows all of these things inside it um and that's how I sort of see this great piece by um by Louise so it's from Remnants and it's um part of the Gippsland Red Gums Plains and it's called Yearing Bush Reserve a grey downy bird hops down to the yurt chuck to look at me as I climb through the wire fence on the boundary of the badlands into Yirung Reserve. She hops up and down the tree as if tapping on my heart lightly. A female golden whistler. I'm here, she says, despite the eroded gulch of Fiddler's Creek as it re-enters dry farmland. 
Yurtchuk and the red gums shelter the shady interior of the tiny reserve. I could walk from one side to the other through patches of kangaroo grass and wallaby grass in 10 minutes if I moved swiftly, but I don't. The chain of ponds creek slows down in the reserve, allowing creatures to sit and rest, to hide out from the heat or to stay if they are able to live in small places. A peregrine falcon lifts off from the bank of a shadowy waterhole, its strong yellow legs hanging straight down as it crosses the pool and rises through overhanging branches back out into the dissolving sun. Thank you. You're listening to the Newcastle Writers' Festival Stories for You podcast. My name is Beth Spencer and I'm talking to Cassandra Atherton who's just read a poem from, I'm sorry, who was that from again? Louise Crisp, Louise uh, from the Anthology of Australian Prose Poetry. Um, anthology of Australian Prose Poets, Poems, Anthology of Australian Prose Poetry. So there's that huge difference between an anthology of Australian Prose Poets and an mm -hmm. anthology of Australian Prose Poetry. It's amazing the whole yep. intricacies in anthologies and so on. Um, okay. Now, you've collaborated on this book you've mm -hmm. collaborated on the book that you wrote with Paul Hetherington um, the scholarly book and yep. you've also recently collaborated on some works of some actually published works of Marcus poems yeah Paris poems absolutely with Paul yeah. that's just been yeah. um is fugitive what's it called fugitive letters yeah so fugitive we fugitive letters some, that's just come out yeah research year. and yeah. we so you actually that one go on I was going to say that one uh, looks at the prose poem as letters or, or epistle, yes, okay. so that kind of thing too, yeah. Yeah, well, you obviously thrive on collaboration. How's, how's it work for you or how did it begin? Um, I used to hate collaborating. I gave a paper at my university giving people all the reasons why you should never collaborate. <laughs> um, and, um, and then I met Paul Hetherington at a conference and he saw me speak and read a prose poem and speak about prose poetry and talk to me a bit about the form because he'd written some fragments and other things, but he was basically a poet who wrote, who, who used to write lineated poetry rather than prose poetry. And, um, and just, and to, just to, of, sorry, just yeah. to um, clarify, lineated poetry means poetry that's based around lines rather than sentences and paragraphs. Yeah. So, so prose poetry. So lines and verses yeah. rather than lines and stanzas rather than sentences and sentences paragraphs and yeah yep. so prose poetry generally runs all the way to that right margin and turns at the right margin whereas lineated poetry I mean a lot of people say lyric poetry but I get quite angry about that because there are lyric Lots prose poems forms as of... well yeah mm -hmm. so lyric doesn't just mean that it has lines and stops before the right margin um like a lot of free verse poetry that we're used to reading um so yeah so lin so lineated poetry but um, he said to me, oh, is there much scholarship? I'd be interested in reading some scholarship on the prose poem. And I said, no, I've read a lot. Of, you know, I told him the handful of books that were quite old that a lot of Americans had written and, and one UK, she, she's quite brilliant, Nikki Santilli, who wrote um, a monograph on prose poetry. And he said, oh, that's interesting. I would have thought given that it's a form that resonates and is having a real renaissance that there would be some more work on it, you know, in scholarship. And yeah, he convinced me to write a monograph, which was wonderful. I'm not sure I would have done it if I hadn't spoken to him at that moment. And we were very lucky that our writing styles are really similar in okay. terms of our scholarship. So uh, it's very easy to write together and to write 
beginnings and endings of chapters and articles together without having to rewrite it so that it feels like it's the same in tone and style. Writing prose poems together has been entirely different. We used to write a series of prose poems and sort of put them together, but now we actually write prose poems together. So we do within the one prose poem you'll find I've written four or five lines and he's written two or three and then the next one it might be the other way around. It's it's very different actually writing creatively compared to writing critically. Um, and I think maybe the creative feels harder. Um, mm. I think that's because sometimes you're more sort of personally invested. I think when you're writing creatively, it often does come from the heart or it comes from some part of yourself that you feel is quite personally you, even if you're projecting something different onto it. Whereas I feel like I can be a li- little bit more objective when I write critically. Mm, interesting. And I guess the reader's different too in like the purpose of yeah. it and how it's going to be experienced and so on. So you are giving a bit more of yourself in the the creative writing. Yeah. So, yes, you really, um, that's really interesting about the collaborations. I guess it does, sounds like it's finding the right person. And yeah. it, I'd say in many ways that you're, um, you've got a creative partnership too with Brondon Bronwyn Meehan, Absolutely. who is the amazing publisher at Spineless Wonders. And she just does, or well, Spineless Wonders works in so many different ways to get stories yeah. and micro-lit and unusual forms, like little forms of, of writing yeah. to a really diverse audience. And, and you've done performances, you've had these amazing, some of the best, that, that um, launch, the Zoom launch of Pulped was a lesson for yeah. everybody on how to do a fantastic <laughs> launch. You had cocktails and you had people dressing up and yeah. lots of videos contributed. It was, and the, the quiz in between it, it was really just engaging and fun. And I think that's just Spineless Wonders is all about that and collaborating with authors in different ways so um Roman's amazing I think one of the things that's nice to think about and and that writers always talk to us about is they write something and they're thrilled to have it in the anthology or thrilled to have it published on the website or whatever but Bronwyn takes it to a new level she's such a dynamo she wants it out there in the public space in multiple ways you know so mm. she's all about having posters in public spaces and pavement pages where there are QR codes which I think is so funny because <laughs> QR codes in COVID have just become everything but you know back when she started doing it, it you know was a really interesting way of hearing uh you know a piece of micro lit read to you by a, an amazing actor she has incredible people um read some of the micro lit and it gives it a whole nother life you know it's it's a life off the page that you wouldn't really get with a lot of other publishers and that's I mean she's so passionate about the short form I love the fact that the short form for her also means that you know she can do these great things with it in public because you don't need much time to read something that's really short but you can think about it forever you know it's it's that idea of reading it and then going away maybe in a train station you read something and then you sit down and you think about it for the rest of the the journey that's what we like to think happens and I think the first I met Bronwyn was when one of my pieces of one of my prose poems was part of an exhibition she did at Federation Square where they had the the words of the prose poem um, and the micro lit sort of up on that lighting box in the middle of, of Federation Square. And I thought, wow, she thinks big. She dreams big. You know, <laughs> this is exciting, you know. Yeah. And you, um, people who've been to the Newcastle Festival a couple of years ago might remember you had little, um, they might have found or seen, placed around or seen lying on the floor, uh, little postcard size sheets yeah. of paper with sto- little micro lit stories 
written on them. And it's a wonderful way yeah. to distribute it. And when you were saying before about the way it's it's so consumable in so many ways yeah. and like posting it on Instagram or on Facebook, what I like about posting these on Facebook is that people don't just read it once because if other people start responding to it, then it keeps turning up in their feed. And so they get to exactly. actually read it over and over. And I've had people sort of say, I'm starting to really... I'm starting to get interested in those little forms, you know. So it is, it's, um, it's exciting. And, and that collaborate, I think ev everyone that is published with Spineless Wonders is in a collaboration in some way. It's, it's not a traditional form of publishing. So no, it's I think it's like being part of the family. I always joke and say, you know, it's, it's you know, the Spineless Wonders family. And I mean, now, I mean, one of the other things that has been reasonably recent is micro flicks. And that takes some mm. of these micro lit pieces and you see them reimagined by filmmakers in short films. So I don't know, I think maybe because Bronwyn's so little and she's this powerhouse, she likes the small <laughs> form because it also bursts into these larger than life exhibitions you know the, I think there's something really powerful about the small you know it, it's underestimated maybe even on the page you look at something and think oh what could that possibly do it's not very long um, and then you read it and think wow that packs a punch you know that's it's almost in its miniatureness you know it's it's almost um, more intense than if it was drawn out that's what I love about it. Yeah, and it is interesting that sort of novels are still the kind of the dominant form of yeah. creative that, that most people do consume, although I, I don't know whether they're shrinking the number of people that do, when everything else we consume is in these little bite-sized things <laughs> and yeah. montage together in different ways. You'll see an advertisement, you'll see a Facebook post, you'll be watching a TV, you're sort of, we're, we're you see an advertising hoarding or you walk down the street and there's something we're seeing creativity in these little bite-sized things all sort of mixed together and yeah. so it's 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 a really it's a great form and to get it more out there so yeah. that brings us to pulped fiction which is the latest yeah. collection of um and this is based on a prize that you judge called the, the joanne burns um micro lip prize and joanne burns yeah. is the patron saint of that and she is and she uh, was at the launch um and was very excited to um to see people read you yeah. know their their prose it's, poems and their micro know that she's inspired so much of this yeah. and um and this has just got such a great title pulped fiction <laughs> it's just so yeah. fitting because the what's happened in this is um all these different writers take a whole lot of conventions and tropes from different genre fiction like detective mm. fantasy romance mystery sci-fi fairy tale and so on and have mashed them up in all these amazingly interesting ways and that's where the launch was just so fabulous and I think the limit was 200 words is that right yeah, yeah, absolutely. So and that was, I, um, that was the, the yeah. sort of the challenge was to sort of come up with something <laughs> yeah. original, interesting, um, evocative, imaginative that leapt off the page in certain ways, but also fit on that page in 200 words. And there's some amazing contributions in here. And the one that won is just four sentences long. Mm -hmm. And this is yeah. Jane O'Sullivan's piece and just really shows how much you can do in this tiny, crafted, little um, piece of this little fenced in space that just can open right out so would you read that one for us absolutely yeah so this one uh, won the national competition and people have loved I've got such great feedback um, from people saying wow I really enjoyed the fact because I think with a lot of competitions too 
Um, it's often the very long pieces that get rewarded. It's like having bang for your buck. Oh, well, I've got all this poem to read. And so, you know, microlit is already brief, but this is taking brief to a whole nother level and it works so well. Yeah, so it's called Portals. The cat had discovered a portal to another world tucked behind the neighbor's shed. He kept bringing home strange things, jellyfish, gobbets, possibly an arm. She wrapped the bits in paper and put them in the bin. Some wars start as easily as that with a sigh. And hopefully the listeners will be wanting to go, hang on, hang on, I need to read that again. There was a yeah. like in that. So they can grab their copy of Pulp Fiction, ask for it at your bookstore, uh, ask your yeah. library to get it, and you can also buy it online. And maybe, you know, start thinking about writing something because there's such a, a lovely challenge in, in it. Um, and I love the way that you are so intimate with the pieces that you have read from all the writers you've collected in all the books, so many books. You must have sort of read so many thousands and thousands and thousands of pieces to hone them down to these little, these collections that you've edited. And yet you seem to be so beautifully intimate and in love with every piece, the way you read them and talk I am. about them. I think, well, I think when you judge a competition, one of the things that comes into play is, do I remember it after mm -hmm. I've read it? Because it's got to have something that haunts me for it to be a successful piece. And like you said, I think you'd come back to that and think, oh, what's that about war and size? And what's yeah. that? Did the cat really? go into like a you know some kind of strange time shift like what happened and I think that's that's what's so provocative and of course I mean we we talked about the fact that a lot of Bronwyn and I talked about the fact that a lot of people had been writing quite grim sort of things with the pandemic beginning and we wanted to choose a theme that would perhaps spark some mischievous um, funny, witty kind of moments. And that's that's what it did. Pulp Fiction has so much to kind of laugh about in it. It's just a joyful kind of anthology. I love that line, the jellyfish gobbets, possibly an arm. <laughs> sort of, <laughs> it's just a beautiful yeah. juxtaposition. So I think we've run out of time. And there's so much more we could talk about with this form, but you've given us so much in your generous talking about it all and but before we go can I just ask you to share with listeners one of your mm -hmm. favorite creativity tips my favorite creativity tip is to take an author that you absolutely love so something that already exists in the world a book it could be a film as well I suppose um, so it doesn't have to just be in that kind of literature area and to try and write something about that author's oeuvre or the ideas that you've seen in that film in 200 words or less. Um, <laughs> it kind of, you know, it builds into the Pulp Fiction idea. It builds into the idea that we need other writers as mentors. We're not going to be great writers if we don't read other people's work. So I like the idea we can be inspired by other writers. And that's where my kind of Bond's poem comes from. You know, I love Emily Dickinson. I love John Donne. Um, you know, there's just so many incredible writers out there. So maybe these little mini homages or tributes that you can give that what you were talking about, Beth, those sorts of um, subconscious leaps from one idea to another. So perhaps take something that you already love and see what you can do with it in 200 words or less. And throw in another little ingredient that's not 
yeah. hasn't hasn't been there before. Yeah, that's fantastic. Thank you so much. And thank you for being on Stories to You podcast, the anthology of Australian prose, well, I shouldn't say the anthology of Australian prose poetry is published by Melbourne University Press. Mm-hmm. Pulped Fiction is published by Spineless Wonders. So please do ask for them at your bookshop or you can order them direct from your publishers. And you can also ask for them at your library. So lots of ways to experience this. And you can find out more about Cassandra's prose poetry books and collaborations at her website, which is cassandra-atherton.com. But we'll put links to those to these things in the show notes. A big thank you yeah, sorry, a big thank you to Rosemary Milson and the team at New- Newcastle Writers' Festival and to all you wonderful supporters of the festival and supporters of the arts and the local writing community in Newcastle, which is just amazing. Last year was rough, but the festival is back on again on the weekend of the 24th to the 26th of September 2021. So put that in your diary. And you can also follow the festival page on Facebook and Instagram for regular updates. Meanwhile, we have this rich series of interviews. So just search for Newcastle Writers Festival wherever you get your podcasts and click the button to subscribe, which is, of course, free. However, if you feel like making a donation and being a patron of the arts, that would be wonderful. And there are links at the festival website. But, of course, you can be a patron of the arts just by reading and buying books by local authors and poets and small presses like Spineless Wonders, who are just doing so much wonderful things out there. Please keep reading and writing and talking about ideas and things that matter and sharing podcasts like this. Word of mouth is just so important for people to find us. So we'd love it if you would share on social media or just recommend it to a friend. And look after yourself. Thank you for being an active part of the writing community. And thank you, Cassandra. Thank you so much. Thank you for your provocative and fascinating (laughs) questions. It's what we want to do is spark conversation about things that can get other people inspired in the things we love. Fantastic. to you.